Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Well, good morning once again, and we are uh, happy to be here and done with 2020 and ready to start 2021. I say that it was not a year that we expected. Let me get the old, uh, let's see here. I got to do this. And I have to do that. All right. You can't really see it too well, can you? All right. Better you can see that than see me. Um, does anyone know what I did for a job before I was an uh, assistant principal? I taught. You know what teachers like to do, right? Pop quiz. All right, so we're going to start this morning with a pop quiz. You don't have to answer out loud. You read the question to yourself, and we'll have a chance to answer at the end. I guess I should read these for the people that are listening later on. So the first question is, what caused the rich young ruler to walk away sorrowfully from Jesus? The second is, what caused some people to take their own lives in the aftermath of the stock market crash of 1929? The third question, what prevented Job from cursing God or charging him after he suffered such great loss? That's not what I meant to do. And the last one is, why... Did Paul endure such hardship in serving the Lord? Now, there's a one-word answer is what I'm looking for. Does anyone want to guess? Money. Money or treasures. And that's what we want to talk about today. Tyler read some verses for us to start out in Matthew chapter 6. So turn there if you would. We'll start in Matthew chapter 6. Sometimes that's the way that I will end the year. I look at the budget, determine what fell short, what needs to be adjusted, what can we do to change, where we could, if we can, reallocate, and so on and so forth. Um, I thought perhaps it would be something to look at this morning, what the Bible says to us about treasure. Now, the verses that Ty read, we're going to start in verse 19 of Matthew 6. Matthew 6, and starting in verse number 19... We're just going to read the first verse. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So the Lord, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, started in chapter 5. It says he went up on a mountain, he sat, and and the disciples came, and he began to teach them. And this was one of the lessons he taught them. And he starts with giving a negative statement. He says, don't do this. Do not. We have a lot of... uh, People that think the Bible is filled with do-nots. And we would say, well, you know, there's as many do's, if not more, than there are do-nots. But there are do-nots. Don't deny that. If someone says, I don't want to become a Christian, that's going to limit what I can do. Well, it will certainly give you a freedom you didn't expect in Christ. Uh, But there are things that we're told not to do. And here's one. Do not store up or lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So the first thing I want you to notice is, For whom are the treasures laid up? And it says in the verse, do not lay up treasures for yourself. It's the first thing that Jesus warns about. He doesn't condemn 
treasures of earth. He does describe them. He describes them as being temporal. He describes them, we're saying, this is where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. These are things that won't last forever. Don't spend your time laying these up for yourself. But he doesn't condone or condemn, I should say, the treasures themselves. You have to be careful when we are looking at the scripture that we don't look for a verse that will justify what we want to say. And I always make sure that you understand this, or I try to make sure my uh, upbringing, and, and, and for some of you it's the same way, was that when you are listening to God's word being taught, the admonition is that you be like the Bereans. Search the scripture, see if these things are so. Don't believe just because we... Now, we try not to put anyone up here that's going to be teaching uh, falsely, but that doesn't mean someone might not slip and say something by mistake. So I'm, I'm sure you hear it. So your job as a believer is take, take time. If, listen, think about how that compares with what you know Scripture teaches, and if something doesn't sound just right, go back and look. Check it out. If I said today, no earthly treasures, you'd say, well, that doesn't sound completely right, not to mention I can think of people in Scripture that were blessed with earthly treasure, that were pleasing to God, and we'll talk about a few of those. One of the verses that later on he writes about in 1 Corinthians says this, money is the root of all evil. Now, you can't deny that it says that, but I didn't begin, give you the beginning of the verse, right? The beginning of the verse says that the love of money is the root of all, all sorts of evils and so on. But if I wanted just to make a point against money, I could bring it out, just the, the snippet I want. So we take things in their context, and in context, Jesus says to them, do not lay up for yourselves... Don't something that you're going to hoard and it's just for your benefit, treasures on earth. So flip back just a few chapters to 19, chapter 19 of Matthew. And there's an account given there of a rich, young ruler. It's called the rich, young ruler because all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say that the man that came to Jesus in this story was rich. Matthew will say at the end of the section, verse 22, that he was young. And Luke includes the words at the beginning that he was a ruler. So the rich young ruler in verse 16, it says, came to him, to Jesus, and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So here we see a story of one who had accumulated earthly treasure. And he'd accumulated earthly treasure for himself. So much was the um, 
treasure as far as what it meant to him that it cost him eternity. It was a, for him, for the rich young ruler, good motive, right? He came to Jesus. Now he doesn't know uh, that this is God's son. He knows he's a teacher. He comes and calls him good teacher. It's interesting because the Lord says in verse 17, why do you call me good? That's, a, that's God you're speaking of. Now, is Jesus God? Yes, he's God, God the Son. Does this man know? Has God revealed to this man that Jesus is God's Son? No. So you've asked him that pointed question. Why are you asking? Why are you giving me that title? But he says, here's what you need to do then. Keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. And which, trying to justify himself, says, which ones do you want me to keep? He came with a good motive. He had a desire to, to do what was necessary for eternal life. You know, part of the, I guess the struggle in, for a person who's unsaved grasping the message of the gospel is that there is nothing that needs to be done, right? The man came and said, what must I do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? And after giving him several of the commandments, not all of them, but several of them, the man's reply was, and, and by the way, these are ones that deal mostly with how he interacted with man. Remember, there's two tablets for the, uh, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, at least, and, and the ones that Jesus references here mainly are dealing with man's relationship to man, not man's relationship to God. Those are other ones, uh, no other gods before me, love the Lord, love, and so on. So he says, that these are the ones that you should keep. Well, he goes, I've done that. Now, his reply, if after Jesus answered his question, he should have said, I've done that, so I'm in, right? No, he knew He knew that that wasn't enough. He said, well, what else do I need to do? What do I still lack? This gospel doesn't say it, but uh, I think it's Marx that says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He felt compassion for him. And knowing the blockade, he said to him, here's what you need to do. If you're truly sincere about it, there's something that's stopping you. Let go of all that stuff that's earthly that you've accumulated. Sell it. Give it to those less fortunate than you. And if you do, what does it say? You will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. When Jesus told the rich young ruler this, it says in verse 22, when he heard that, he went away sorrowful. That was a cost that was more than he was willing to pay to accumulate or to get what he sought, eternal life. So one might think that earthly riches themselves may be the issue. But I don't think that you will find that's the case always. Look at Genesis chapter number 13. There's a number of examples, but I'm just going to pick one. This is after... um, Well, after... The flood after the Tower of Babel and after the distribution where the Lord spread the nations out or spread the people out all over the earth at the end of chapter 11. Moses writes the genealogy of Shem and gets down to a man named Terah who has three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then in chapter 12, it says that, um, well, actually before that, they, they left, uh, four of them left Ur of the Chaldees, 
and um, headed for uh, Canaan. You know how I remember the four that left? Salt. Sarah, Abraham, Lot, and Terah. Those are the four that left. They left. Terah died in the, in the town of Haran, and, and Abram went on. And Abram, in chapter 12, God spoke to him and, and confirmed to him that he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he was going to bless him. <coughs> he went down to Egypt, and in chapter 13, it picks up the narrative. It says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him in the south. And Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So if you read the story of Abraham, which was not the thrust of our uh, lesson this morning, you'll find out that Abraham, unlike the rich young ruler, had a very close relationship with God. The, the Bible tells us of Abraham, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham's trust in God and what God said was what determined his relationship with God and the treasures didn't, the earthly treasure, the temporal things that he had were not a deterrent to him. Abraham, we read in uh, James chapter 2, it's a reference to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He's called the friend of God. And later in Hebrews, we read, or earlier in Hebrews, we read, he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. His sights were not on those things that were temporal, those earthly treasures, the things that he would, some would cling to. That wasn't where his focus was. The rich young ruler, sadly, that's where he put his focus, so much so that it kept him from that which he sought, which was to have eternal life. So, what about this heavenly treasure? We've read it once already. Let's look at Luke chapter number 12. Because the verses in Matthew, the second verse says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. It's the opposite of treasures on earth. Treasures in heaven. And in Luke chapter 12, Starting in verse 13, we read the account of a rich man. But this rich man is one that God calls a fool. Starts in verse, where we want to start is verse number 13. Well, we can start in 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. By the way, notice it was all about me. Tell him to do this for me. Take my side, Jesus. That's what I want you to do here. It wasn't to follow the law and do according to what was said. Just do right by me. And Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? In this case, it wasn't something that the Lord wanted to uh, pass judgment on. Oh, he is a judge and will judge mankind. But there, here in this case, it was nothing that he wanted to be involved in. But he did take time to, to draw a lesson from it. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. It's a tough lesson to learn. One's life, he said, does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. 
used to be a bumper sticker. I'm sure some of you older people would remember it. It was a worldly wisdom that was um, just that. He who dies with the most toys, what? Wins. He who dies with the most toys wins. And I remember seeing a rebuttal uh, bumper sticker. We don't do bumper stickers much anymore unless you do them on your window. And it said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. (laughs) Isn't that something? So it's not about accumulating. I've got a boat. I've got a house over here. And I've got I've got all these things, and if I have the most and I, when I leave this life, that I go out on top. But Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. I was reading, there was a um, poll taken, a survey. What would it take for you to be, feel like you can live the American dream? It's tough, by the way, it's a tough, uh, sometimes difficult for us to keep in mind this world is not our home. We can say that and we can sing that, uh, but sometimes, and this is maybe because of the way we were raised, our upbringing, we're very patriotic. We're American. And there's a lot of things we, we love about our country, but we got to be careful that we don't put that in front of where my citizenship is. And so the American dream, if you work hard and try, you'll succeed. And you'll, you'll be content, you'll have all that you, you, know, you dreamed of. So the survey, one of the, the trends it found was that people that were making approximately $25,000 a year, you know how much they said they would need to be happy? $54,000 a year. If I made $54,000 a year, I would be able to live the American dream. The people that were making right around fifty, when they were asked, you know what they said? They didn't say fifty-four. they said 92, right? It was always about double what they made. I thought that would be enough. Would it bring them contentment? No, no. Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Uh, Paul would write later, whatsoever state I find myself therewith to be content. So here we see, let me keep reading here the, uh, the, the story here. He says, then he spoke a parable to them. It says, the ground of a rich man, a certain rich man yielded plentifully, And he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night Your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount was not that treasure was bad, but where is the treasure? Are you rich towards God? Are you rich towards the things of this world? Notice the the pronoun my and those verses, describing the man, he said, I have no room for my crops. I'll tear down my barns, store all my crops. They're my goods, and I'll say to my soul, you've got it made. It was all about him and his stock and what he's accomplished in this world. 
And God says to him, a fool, it's a tough description. I mean, it's a harsh description. You might look at someone who's industrious like that. The man had a plan. His plan was, okay, listen, this is a, not expected, but I had a bumper crop, not just a bumper crop. And I'm not an agriculture person. Uh, I, I don't know that how that would work, that how you could have enough of a crop to go for many years uh, to survive. But that's what, and it's just, a, it's an illustration. It's a parable, it says. But the man did something to make provision for it rather industrious, tore down what he had, built up new ones, and he had made himself, made himself into a place that he was set. We would condone such behavior as being industrious and so on, as long as the person was laying up treasure in heaven, right? As long as that was being taken care of. If the focus was only going to be on the things of this world and making sure that I made provision of this, God's description of such a person is a fool. So, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. All right, so let's see. Rich towards God. So how does one be rich towards God? Well, if you're still in Luke 12, there are verses that follow that Jesus teaches a little bit uh, on what it means to be rich towards God. It says in verse 22, Then he said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what, uh, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will, shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Lord takes time to explain to the disciples differences between those things that, of the earth that we would consider necessary um, for living, food, shelter, clothing, these things we think about. He gives a few illustrations from nature, how God provides. 
He points out a very uh, practical lesson. He says, And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to its stature? Use that verse recently with a, a man that uh, I work with and is concerned about stuff. And I said, listen, and he professes to know the Lord. I said, I said don't worry about it. I said, you, what, what is it going to help in the situation to worry? Take it, take it to the Lord and wait and see you know, what happens. And he looked at me, nodded his head. He goes, but I still will worry. And it's his nature. And I thought to myself, it's not going to do you any good. Matter of fact, it's probably going to end up eating, eating at you uh, and, and, and causing other problems. So leave it as a, uh, with the Lord. It doesn't, it won't do, it won't, there's no benefit for it, fretting over it. And he tells him in verse 31, seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Where is your treasure? Where are the things that you count of value? The verse in Matthew, I think it's the one in Matthew, it says, lay not up for yourself treasures. It says, one of the, one of the uh, translations, don't treasure treasure. Don't place such value on earthly treasure. Seek his kingdom first. And he says at the end of this, oh, and I was going to mention too, he says, um, if you have uh, the treasure, and the Lord has blessed many uh, with uh, earthly goods, he says, give alms. In other words, take into consideration those who are less fortunate and give to them. It's a blessing that God's given you. Is it song, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. Uh, so we, we do this, we, would, uh, we give as the Lord would lead. Um, and especially in giving to those less fortunate. And if you're not the kind of person that says, well, I'm not, you know, we don't really uh, comfortable giving to somebody that's, holding up a work for food sign, we'll find an organization or you know, through the assembly that you give knowing uh, that the, the Lord will take that to, uh, to, to use it uh, to bring honor and glory to Him. But the accumulation of treasure for myself is not what's pleasing God. It says, if I sell what I have and give alms, provide yourself money bags. When they heard that, they might have thought, oh good, we get to get a money bag. No, he goes, Money bags which will not grow old, which do not grow old. A treasure in heaven that does not fail. It's the heavenly treasure that's referenced there in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. One could be rich towards God if God's kingdom is sought. One other illustration, I believe it is in um, the book of Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes to try and urge those in the church of Colossae. To set their mind, their heart on things that are above. It says in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, in the first uh, two verses there, if you, or the word probably better translated since, you've then been raised up with Christ, Seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The urge is to focus on the things that will last forever. We can spend a lot of time uh, planning 
things for this earth. But I mentioned earlier, uh, talking about that bumper sticker, that all will die. And, and the, book, right, the writer in the book of Hebrews <clears throat> points out that um, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this judgment. So there comes a day that we will have to give an account. And the question is, when you stand before God, first of all, where will you stand? And the question of how will your account go? There is two, at least two, but these two that bring out judgments that are spoken of in Scripture. One is found in the book of Revelation in chapter 20. And it's called the Great White Throne Judgment Seat or Judgment Verse 10 says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's where they were cast. Then he says, I saw, John says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small, and great standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll stand before Him one day as judge. He's recording what's happening now. The decisions that you make, the things that you do, and one day you will be judged for those. Now, those of us that do know the Lord Jesus Christ, I count myself in that number, those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, praise God we will not be judged at the great white throne for our sin because our sins have been washed away. God sees my Savior, then He sees me. The price has been paid. I have no no account to make for my sin. But I still have an accounting to make. It's called the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ. There's a few um, verses. I'll just read uh, the section in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For each one, that each, sorry, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I will have to one day give an account and the things that I'm judged for will be according to what I've done. It talks about the wood, hay, and stubble and when these our, our, our acts are done, are, uh, are put to the test, God will reward or we lose a reward accordingly. There are crowns spoken of in the, in the Bible. I won't go turn to them at this time for, because of time, but a few of them are mentioned uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, the imperishable crown. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, the crown of righteousness. James speaks of the crown of life in chapter 1, and 1 Peter speaks of the crown of glory. Could these be the heavenly treasures that we are to lay up? When we come, we started the message talking about the end of a year and the beginning of another. And as we uh, go back one year and start 2020, one of the things that uh, I remember we talked about as we were planning out the school year was 2020, let's sharpen our focus. Because, you know, 2020 vision, right? This is the uh, idea. But the, uh, 
Nobody knew when we started 2020 what was in store. So we might think 2021 <coughs> can't be any worse, right? Um, and yet we don't know, do we? We don't know what 2021 holds. The uh, verses in the book of Joshua um, that are rem- reminiscent of this. It's when in chapter 3, the children of Israel have come through the wilderness Moses has been called home to be with the Lord. Joshua is appointed the leader. And Joshua has them now at the bank of the Jordan River. And Joshua gives instructions to the Israelites. He says, you know, we're going to be going across this river into the land of Canaan, the promised land. God's promised it to our forefathers. But he says, we've not passed this way before. It's new territory. They don't really know what's ahead. So here's the instructions. It said, stand back about 2,000 cubits, which is about 1,000 yards from the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. If you recall the Ark of the Covenant, that was representative of God's presence with the people of Israel. When they traveled with it, when they camped out, it sat in the middle. Uh, it was a represented, represented God in His presence. The covering, the lid of it, the mercy seat it's called, we read in the New Testament, it speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 2 and 4, 10 calls, Christ is called the propitiation for our sins or our mercy seat. So as Joshua directed the children of Israel as they're heading into an unknown place to keep their eyes on that this morning i would urge you as we move into an unknown keep our eyes on christ set your affection on things above where our treasure should be in 2021 let's close in a word of prayer father thank you so much for again for the lord jesus christ we've been reminded this morning of the finality of that sacrifice and that the price has been paid once and for all We thank you, Father, for the blessings that you give us, the things that we see, the things that we don't see. We thank you, Father, for the provisions you make for us, the food, the shelter, uh, the clothing, things that we would use, Father, in, in operating in this earthly realm. We pray, Father, this morning that your spirit would remind us that this world is not our home and that we are just passing through. Father, we're unsure about what the future holds. We hear the beginning of a a new year. And uh, just as the children of Israel would uh, be anxious about what was on the other side and what was (laughs) the way to go, we look to you and to your Son in helping, Father, directing and guiding us on the way to go. Help us, Father, not to step ahead. Help us not to lag behind. Help us to be in step with you and your Son. We ask your blessing as we part this morning now in our Savior's name. Amen.